Father, you are so wonderful, so wonderful that our, our, our souls, even if we don't know you, cry out to know you. May we bless you. May we bring you joy. May we satisfy you today in our gathering, celebrating your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been going through the uh, Sermon on the Mount uh, slowly, very slowly. Um, so go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We've finally moved from chapter 5 to chapter 6, and we are going to be exploring a string of thought uh, that, that Jesus gives. Um, the... The past several weeks, we've been going over several uh, aspects or facets of righteousness. So coming into our text today, we, we might actually have a little bit of trouble grasping what he's talking about. If, if we think in, in, in terms of narrative flow, uh, but it makes sense by the end of chapter 6. So I will be briefly mentioning chapter six, or the end of chapter 6. So don't worry. Don't worry. I won't, I won't leave, you, uh, leave you alone. I won't leave you hanging until you know, six months from now when we reach the end of chapter 6. I am kidding. I'm totally kidding. It won't take us that long. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, before we begin, <laughs> how many of you guys have ever been in a class where there is an absolute teacher's pet? You know what that means, right? Like, person works very hard so that the teacher knows how wonderful they are. Um, I, uh, believe it or not, like, you wouldn't actually know this with me in classes when I'm teaching, but I actually don't like speaking. And even when I'm preaching, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of hearing my own voice. Uh, one of the worst things that I go through after, after the sermon is done is when I have to edit the audio for the sermon, and I got to hear myself. So uh, you might think that I was a teacher's pet growing up, but in all, in all honesty, um, I, I, I wasn't. But because I was quiet, every school year I would basically resolve to not speak and teachers would think, oh, he's so quiet. We need to hear more of him. So they'd try and bring that out, and then that would come to a head about halfway through the school year when my report card would say, talks too much in class, right? They open the floodgates, it's their fault. Anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but, but, uh, but all right, so I was in middle school, there was this one kid, and I don't remember his name, and I'm gonna consider that the grace of God. It was like Eric or Ryan, one of those like, like two-syllable names. But this kid was like the epitome of teacher's pet, okay? Uh, I mean, he was always, always going, teacher, 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 trying to get the teacher's attention. Um, and and it, it, it was just, it was obnoxious. Uh, and because of it, this kid legitimately, oops, this kid legitimately had no friends. Um, and I, I was the kid that was, that would always try to befriend the kids with no friends, uh, because I felt sorry for him. And I remember I tried to befriend him and it, it just didn't work out. Like it, he was just as annoying outside of class as he was inside of class. Um, and, uh, and, and like he, he ended up, if I remember correctly, he's the one who ended the, the friendship with me 
because he said I was annoying. And it was because I would ask him like, man, please, like just stop piping up in class. And then he'd, uh, he'd, he'd get all mad at me. He'd get all mad at everybody, right? He'd be, um, he'd be like, hey, stop. No, no, I, I, I have something to say. I need to contribute it. And you know, just, all right, whatever. But then when the teachers would say, okay, buddy, like you let somebody else answer. I mean, he would guilt trip them. And like this kid in class would say, well, don't you want to hear what I said? Don't you want to see what I did? Don't you, you know, things like that. And it's like, dang, like, <laughs> like calm down a little bit. Um, but I mean, this kid was like, I mean, he was a primo teacher's pet. He was, he, it, it, but he was so much of a teacher's pet that the teachers would get annoyed. Like uh, that's that, and that, that takes something. Um, well, in our text today in Matthew chapter six, we're actually going to meet uh, essentially the teacher's pets of the, 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 the Jewish religion. Um, the hypocrites, as Jesus calls them in verse five, which we're not going to get to, well, I mean, I'll allude to it, uh, were a lot like this kid. Um, they'd convinced, instead of the teacher, they'd convinced the Jewish culture around them that they weren't actually self-righteous approval seekers they were just really holy. Like they were, they, their, their opinion mattered. Um, and and uh, usually these people had a chapter and verse to show it. You know, they were, they were the cherry picking, the cherry pickers, where they pull like a verse from somewhere and they make you, uh, they make you read it so you know how righteous they are, right? Um, but then here comes Jesus, raining on the parade of of these these teachers pets right so now now we've got now we've got the setting so let's go ahead and read shall we so Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 1 beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven thus when you give to the needy Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Ouch. Uh, so just a little bit of background here. Um, actually, before I go in, no, I'm sorry, I got the background first. So a little bit of background. Oh, no, I broke it. I broke my own PowerPoint. Did I fix it? No. Sorry. All right, I'm going to talk while, while I'm going through this. Uh, so a little bit of background here. Chapter six is actually one consistent thought flow. And when we read in our English Bibles, we've got these really cool little subtitles that help us track with the thought flow. But sometimes we might think that they're separate. But there's three things that were very big deals in the Jewish religion. One of them was almsgiving, giving of alms. And it was specifically about giving to the needy. Um, and... And this was, uh, th this was like a big thing, right? But Jesus makes the statement of, uh, of don't, you know, don't sound, sound no trumpet before you. They did not literally do that. <laughs> that, is, that is a statement of Jesus' sarcasm. Uh, he's being, he's, he's, I mean, I don't want to say God is making a joke, 
but but God was kind of making a joke there. Um, but but almsgiving was was required by Jewish law. It was required um, by uh, by the the temple taxes. It was required um, just in general of of followers of the Lord. Uh, there were there were separate tithes that were made to go into giving to the needy. So it was a righteous practice. It was done at the temple, um, and you can think of it as a temple tax. But it, it, it wasn't really. Just just know that it was a portion of their religious system. Another thing that was done publicly was prayer, and we're not going to hit on that today. But if we were to keep reading, that would be the very next section. Prayer was often done publicly, and it was it was supposed to be a way of showing your humility. Like I rely on God for these things. I'm beseeching God because I'm not able to do it. But it had become more of an act of pride. Um, using really big words, amalgamous, amalgamous words. Um, yeah, nobody knows what amalgamous means. It's fine, but but that's that's my point, right? It's like it's like when you hear someone talking in big words just because they know big words, um, and they never define them. So so prayer had become like that, and then fasting was another thing. It's fasting is supposed supposed to show your dependence on God, but instead, you know, the the, the hypocrites. We're throwing dirt on their face. It's, oh, I'm so hungry. I haven't eaten because I'm dedicated to the Lord. And obviously that was the wrong motive. So this whole section we can think of as secret righteousness. As righteousness that's done in secret, that's seen by God in secret, and therefore it's correct. It's right righteousness as opposed to wrong righteousness, which would be like trying to trying to get an audience, which is what these hypocrites were doing. So, um, and I mean, that's, that's evident in the very first verse, right? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That was their goal. They wanted to be seen, these hypocrites, which were most likely the Pharisees and the scribes. They were the, uh, the hyper ultra religious folk, right? The ones that wanted everybody to see how religious and wonderful they were. And unfortunately, the result of that is the rest of the verse. Uh, in order to be seen by them, for them, you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. No reward. None, nil, zip, zilch, nada, nothing, no reward. You got that, right? No reward. So our sermon summary is a person who gives to the needy publicly has received their reward in earthly recognition, and their righteousness is not true righteousness. If you open your bulletin, it's written right there, sermon summary. There's two points. Again, this is a two-point sermon because I don't have the brilliance to come up with 15. Anyway, uh, so, so uh, point number one is, is something that you won't finish filling in yet. But point number one is we should do right things because uh, why do we do what we do? It's, it's a philosophical question, right? And in fact, psychologists, philosophers, educators, teachers have been debating about this literally for centuries. 
Um, Jesus is actually answering that question in our text today, at least in terms of the hypocrites. He's the one who we, who we get a clear answer, right? Why do they do good things? To be seen by others. So why does a person do a good work in general? Specifically, in our text today, why are they giving money to the poor? both inside and outside the temple, because that's what the Pharisees would do. They would see the poor on the street. Oh, you poor soul, you can't even make it into the temple to get your alms. Uh, let me give you some of my alms, folks. Yeah, see this? Mm, I'm giving this guy money. He's poor, he's lame, he's crippled, he's not able to work for himself. I'm giving him money. That's what they were doing. So a question for you guys, why do you do good works? Hopefully you're not Pharisee, I'm sorry, you're not hypocrites, right? Uh, is it out of gratitude for the good works that God has done for you? Or is it because of the rewards that God will give you for doing the good works? Because there's a wrong side to that too. And, and just to pull yourself out of, out of or pull, pull us out of ourselves for a moment, let's, let's think about God. How many Countless good things has God done for your needy and begging soul? Countless, right, countless good things. And an almost near infinite number of good things. How many times have you escaped a near car accident where your hand just happens to twitch and dodge that corner or dodge that car or dodge the bicyclist? Oh, bicyclists in Oregon. Don't get me started. I'm, I'm not going to go down that. Anyway, uh, but, but how many times have you dodged that near car accident or when you woke up and you didn't have that chronic pain you suffer from for even a few minutes? Or, or the, the times when your past has not crept up on you as often as it might have? How many, how many times has the Lord done things that you should be praising him for, but you, you maybe give him a, ah, thanks, God. So, and think back about our opening psalm today, right? We read Psalm 103, just to grab three things out of it. Verse 2, forget not the Lord's benefits. Why? Because we're forgetful. <laughs> we are forgetful about how good the Lord is. Verse 5, he satisfies us with good. How quickly do we not find dissatisfaction in good things? When the Lord does something good, ah, it's not good enough. Could have been better. God, you could have done that better. You could have raised that one up a little bit. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. How often do you forget the Lord's constant kindness to you? Constant, unending, steadfast, loving kindness. How often do we forget that? It's easy to forget. It's easy to forget when I stub my toe. In our, in our bedroom, we've got some uh, knickknacks, as my wife would call them, things they're supposed to hang on the wall. They're leaning against our, our dresser. Uh, we just haven't hung them on the wall. We just keep forgetting. Until I walk in the bedroom and I stub my toe on it almost every morning at some point. And one of them's a wrought iron clock. Well, it's a fake wrought iron clock, but, but it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's still stainless steel with a wrought iron paint. And I hit my toe on it, and usually it makes a really loud noise, and I freeze because I don't want anybody to, uh, to wake up, right? And in that moment, I've forgotten all the good that the Lord has done to me in that morning for two reasons. One, that hurt. And two, oh God, please don't let everybody wake up. That was really loud. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because <laughs> my boys keep coming in our room, and when they wake up at 4.30 in the morning, they awake. They don't go back to bed. So that's all it takes, man. It takes that little bit of, that little bit of thing, that bad thing, for me to forget how kind God is to me. So let's go back to doing right things. Right? God does all the kindness that we receive to us, and yet he does it without receiving recognition. And even when we do thank him, we give him that little, thank you, Lord, I praise you, you are kind, you are good. An hour later, we've forgotten it. God should get an infinite, endless, eternal amount of praise for the little kindnesses he does, but he doesn't expect it from us because we're forgetful. Instead, he constantly reminds us of his goodness over and over and over again. God does all those things, again, without recognition. So why do you do the right things that you do? Is it because you want to be recognized by others? Is it because you want God to reward you? And don't get me wrong, God will reward us. However, we're going to take all of the rewards and we're going to throw them at Jesus' feet and say, you know what? They're nothing in comparison to you. You're my reward. You're my treasure. But God does give us rewards, eternal rewards for us doing good works. So do good works, right? But don't do it seeking praise. A hypocrite, by the way, as we read in our verse, but we, uh, we also see a little more clearly in the the preceding verses, but, um, but a hypocrite was an actor. Did you know that? A hypocrite is somebody who acts one way and then they go away and they act another way. It was actually, you, a hypocrite was a literal play actor in, in Jesus's time. That word didn't mean religious leader, but it came to mean that as time went on. But a hypocrite uh, was somebody that would act one way in public specifically on stage, playing a part. And then when they get off the stage, they're back to themselves. So God will reward us for doing the right things, but we should not be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites who do things so that they may be seen or they may be rewarded. If we do the right thing expecting rewards or fame, then really we're a hypocrite. We're putting on an act. We may be obedient to the letter of the law, but we're missing the motive behind the law. And that's what these previous sections were about, about, uh, about anger and lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation. They were all about people who may have done the right thing by the letter of the law, but they missed the whole point of those laws. If our hope is in reward or fame, then when we get those things, we've already received our reward and it's not from God. Therefore, that was low. <laughs> that hurts, right? It should hurt us. And I'll be honest, it doesn't hurt me as much as it should. So point one, we should do right things because we want God's applause. That's the, that's the first part of it. And you're applauding. The irony of that moment is just ringing in my head. Anyway, I, I know, I know, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm just I'm thinking about that and I'm like, oh, don't get prideful, Scott. Anyway, the <laughs> so we want God's applause. That's why we do the right thing. That's why we listen to Jesus. Now, point two is, uh, whoops, my bad, sorry. Point two 
give with secret righteousness. And that's what Jesus says in the rest of our verses, right? He says, uh, thus, when you give to the needy, almsgiving, right? Giving to the needy, temple tax, doing the right thing. Uh, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So we're supposed to do secret giving with secret righteousness, so the God who sees in secret may reward us. Now here's what Jesus is not saying, and I've heard this before. Give to the needy, but don't tell your spouse. Legitimately, that is an application I've heard from that. Jesus is not saying that, right? Left hand, right hand. Uh, you know, hey, uh, give to the poor guy the, the cash that you just got from your wife and then grab more cash and don't tell her that you gave to it. That's, that's, not, that's not the point. That's not the point Jesus is making. Jesus, by saying, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, he's saying give without creating an ego boost. Don't let it go to your heart. If it passes from this hand to this hand, it's going through the heart. Oh, look how awesome I am. I gave that lady $25. And it was the last $25 in my wallet. Now I can't go get my candy. My candy, not the one for a candy window, but my candy. Anyway, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but Jesus is saying, don't, don't let this produce pride. Don't let your giving produce pride. All the money you give to the poor or time you spend helping causes like a food pantry or, or, or a soup, um, not soup bowl. Oh, my gosh. Now I'm thinking Super Bowl, but a, but a, but a soup ministry, right? Uh, <laughs> soup kitchen. Thank you. There's the phrase. But all the time you, do, you spend doing causes, because nowadays eh, there's a lot of social programs. So we can get away with not giving of our money, but we might give of our time because in our culture, we think of time as money, even though that's not biblically defensible. But, uh, but, but whether it's you spending, spending your money to the poor or spending time with the poor, um, helping others should not produce pride. Why? Because that creates a self-promoting spirit instead of a God-promoting spirit. It creates in us a sort of self-glorification. And that's really the problem we're going to run into in these next sections, is Jesus is confronting us about our own desire for self-glorification. We might catch this and, and call it building a platform or making a name for yourself. But all those, whether self-promotion, building a platform, making a name for yourself, all of those have one goal, and it's a personal, privatized fame at the core of a person's actions. So these folks that are given, they're not giving because they care about the poor. They're giving because they want to recognize, they want to be recognized as if they care about the poor. Therefore, give in secret, with secret righteousness. Meaning that you give because 
you not because you want to have a form of pride about having give uh, given of your time or money, but you give instead because you, you want to honor God. Why? Because we are all poor before him. You think about the comparison of wealth. Who would be the richest being in all the universe? It would be God. God owns everything. He doesn't need anything. We don't, we, when, when, when the psalmist writes, he owns a cattle on, the cattle on a thousand hills, it's not about your blessing. It's actually about the fact that he owns everything and does not even need you. He is so rich, he doesn't even deserve, or he doesn't even need my praise, and yet he lovingly accepts it. So, when we give, it's not for us saying, hey God, look how cool I am. Look at how good I am. Instead, we're giving because it's, you know, Lord, I am a needy beggar. I am, I am a, a, a worthless soul by comparison to your grandeur and your amazing, uh, awesome existence and splendor that I'm giving of my menial little bits so that I can help this person because you care about them too. So when you give, give in secret. Don't hide it from your spouse. Tell, tell your spouse. But anyway, but, but don't, don't do it even, even like if I were to go to my wife and I would say, hey, honey, I gave that poor beggar 25 bucks. I can have a self-promoting spirit form in that. I can have a, 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 a self-glorifying attitude begin to come out of that. So I even need to watch that in myself. Why? Because I am weak in that regard. When, uh, when I do cool things, I like to boast. I am not like Paul. I do not boast in my weakness as often as I ought. Instead, I like to boast in my awesomeness. Hopefully I'm not the only one in this room that does that. But you think about celebrities who, who every year promote how much they give to charities. No, numbers of zeros that we can't even imagine <laughs> going to children's hospitals, going, going to good causes, things that are good, but, 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 but they, they leak it to the media, right? They tell the media about how much they've given in the past. And sometimes that can be our attitude, huh? We wish that we could sound a trumpet before us. Therefore, give in secret with secret righteousness, which means that you give unassumingly, not expecting fame or reward, and honestly, you expect that nobody will even know you did it. Some implications of our text. Notice, notice in the grand scheme of our verses, just our few verses, the reward is a byproduct. Look at, look at verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret. So that, whenever you see so that in scripture, it means this is the point, right? So, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's almost like a, like a footnote. <laughs> your giving is not, you give to others not expecting, hoping for, or demanding a reward. Your reward is a footnote of your actions, a Christian's goal should never be self-advancement, but instead, advancement in godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7-8, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, 
as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So therefore, what should you do? Right? Pastor's got to apply the sermon. What should you do? Well, here's my first, first piece of advice. Question yourself. What acts of righteousness do you do for an audience? Because we should all be doing right things. We should all be doing righteous deeds. But what things do, you, do we do in secret, expecting only God to see, yet we herald them? We blow the trumpet when we do it. Is it maybe evangelism? Perhaps community service? Perhaps even picking up hitchhikers, right? Maybe being a warrior of truth online. I don't, I don't think most of you have a Facebook account, so you don't have to worry about that. So consider that more of a personal application than, <laughs> than an application for you. But there are people out there who they, they want to be a warrior of truth. They want to defend the truth wherever they go, and they do it, and they take such pride in it, and they tell all their friends how amazing they are at it. I mean, you chuckle, but like seriously, like this, this is me 10 years ago. So I'm speaking from kind of, kind of a, a, a convicted, um, pained <laughs> reality here. But I mean, what, what about other things that should be done in secret that we herald as, as righteous? What things in your life do you do that you do for an audience instead of to get applause from God and God alone? What do you give to the poor and needy, maybe expecting a reward for? Um, actually, in our, uh, I got to teach the middle school Sunday school class today, and we briefly talked about karma, right? Uh, good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Do good things, and good things will happen. Do bad things, and bad things will happen. Karma is not real. God is justice, not karma. So where do you give in your life where you expect the applause of others. And I, I, I challenge you to question that prayerfully because God will convict you. He is faithful to, to make us more and more godly. He is faithful to cause us to repent. And all of us constantly are finding new, new, new avenues in life where, where we do things for the, we do right things for the wrong motive. And the last implication, don't be like the hypocrites. Oh, good. <laughs> I go to church. I don't have to worry about that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but don't be like the hypocrites who give generously, yet forget the weightier matters of the law. That's, by the way, Matthew 23, verses 23 to 24. Jesus has this series of rebukes of the Pharisees. Um, and this is where we understand that the Pharisees and the scribes are whom Jesus means when he says the hypocrites. He says this, woe to you. Yeah, Cursed are you is, a, is another way of thinking of that. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Don't be like the hypocrites. 
Sorry, Jack, you looked up at the wrong time. I was not saying that, Jack, don't be like the hippie. No. <laughs> but, but, but through Christ, live a life rich with justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Why? Because, because God's that wonderful. His applause is so wonderful that it will satisfy your soul for eternity. Therefore, in this life, tell the truth when you know it'll put you in the wrong. Be kind to those who will never repay you with any other kindness. And be ever trusting in the Lord, especially when your heart's troubled. Give to the needy, but don't do it like the hypocrites. Do righteousness in secret. Again, not like the hypocrites who have received their reward already. Those are painful words. But going back to the sermon summary, a Christian ought to do right things for God's glory secretly, knowing that only God's approval matters. Whose approval matters? Yep, amen. Let's pray. Father, I think of my own life and I think of the number of times that I served in, in various ministries, both to self-promote and to glorify myself, but also to glorify you. And oftentimes it was mixed motives and I wish it was so black and white that I knew exactly why I was in, in one ministry and another. I mean, sometimes it was clear, but not always. But Lord, you have always been so gracious to reveal to me where my heart is wrong and where I need to, be, where I need to repent. And you're so gracious to continue to do that. And I continue trying to repent as you sanctify me, as you make me more holy. I pray for all of us that we may not practice our righteousness to be seen by others. That we would not be like the hypocrites. But that we would practice secret righteousness. Glorifying in you and not our own works. To you, Lord, deserve all the glory in all time, in, all, in every place, and that includes with us. May we be a church that honors you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, one of the most incredible things about the Lord is that he never worked for his own glory. Instead, he worked for his Father's glory thus glorifying himself. That's where the Trinity gets all crazy. But, but Jesus' point was that the Father might see everything he did and that the Father might take joy in his actions. So I ask you, who are you working for the applause of? If it's not the Lord, you've received your reward. Go in peace, saints. <laughs>